Good morning as we gather on this Friday, the end of this 22nd week of Ordinary Time. Our studies this week have taken us beautifully through Paul's letter to the young church in Corinth, as well as Luke's gospel, the early chapters 4 and 5 of Luke's gospel, where the call of the first disciples occurs, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and some of this initial teaching and questions of, of Jesus' personhood of Christ and his ministry. You know, Paul tells us again, we're now in the fourth chapter in his letter to the young church in Corinth. He tells us something that's instructive to our, our life right now uh, in, our, in our current moment in time. It's been universally true since the advent of Christ and certainly no less true today. And it's this, Paul writes to them, thus should one regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Isn't that a beautiful description of all of us? Stewards of mysteries. What do you do? I'm a steward of mystery. Ooh, sounds very exotic. But it's true. We carry, through our baptism, we carry as stewards the mysteries of Christ, the light of Christ into the world. But he tells us something today that can be informative. And uh, this particular passage has uh, a deeper meaning for me. Uh, I encountered this word and this course of study in seminary I hadn't heard before. And it's called the study of phenomenology. You may know it as epistemology, phenomenology or epistemology. It's, it's a study, if you will, of why a person's saying what they're saying, less so focused on what they're saying. It's why are you saying that, less so focused on what are you saying. So let's see if we can apply this today and use it as uh, guidance for our daily encounters in life. As we go embark beautifully from this Mass later, and out into the world and into the weekend. Let's think about those terms, phenomenology, epistemology. Great Saint Pope John Paul II wrote extensively on the study of phenomenology. He was a student of many things, and one of those topics he enjoyed studying was phenomenology, the study of why a person says what they said, says what they say versus you know, what it is that they're saying. Paul goes further in this letter, in this letter, it does not concern me in the least that I be judged by you or any human tribunal. Wow, does that sound arrogant in some ways? It does not concern me that I be judged by you. And what he's doing is in his humility, standing on the truth of Christ, he wrote beautifully so in his letter to the Galatians, it is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. It's in that mindset that our, our great apostle is writing this to the church in Corinth. It's not concern me that I be judged by you. In a secular world, we have to imagine a great king or queen or regent asking the person before them in the court, why are you speaking in my presence? That's a very secular way of thinking about this. Why are you speaking? What qualifies you to offer your judgment or opinion of me? Imagine a group of surgeons working on a patient and someone observing through the glass into the operating room, well, I think the doctor ought to do this or that. And that person making that observation has no study in medical science or uh, riding as a passenger in the airplane and the aircraft is making a particular approach to an air, air, airport and the passenger then has ideas about what the pilot should be doing. I, I don't think the pilot's too concerned about the passenger's opinion if that passenger has no experience or knowledge of flight, the dynamics of flight. And we can apply this universally in our life, is we need to be guarded in offering our opinion about what someone should be doing 
if we ourselves have no qualifications in that particular field or era. We can make observations, but we need to be guarded in how we offer a judgment. And what Paul is saying is, it does not concern me in the least what people of Corinth, surrounding culture in Corinth, have to say about him because he is operating in his servanthood of Christ, a servant of the people, a servant, a steward of the mysteries. He's not too particularly concerned what those who don't know those mysteries have to say about that because in a sense he's looking at them and asking that question, why are you speaking? You, you don't know of what you are speaking. Do not make any judgment before the appointed time, he says, until the Lord comes, for he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will manifest the motives of our heart, and then everyone will receive praise from God, those in the family of Christ, everyone who will receive praise from God. So that maybe the message to us is uh, applied then in a, in, a, in a humble way, in a way of engagement with our loved ones and with the world around us, not to rebuke a person who questions us, because people will question, that's human nature, isn't it? Not to rebuke them, but to ask a question or offer, offer an observation. Maybe it goes like this. If we're having coffee with a friend or if we're meeting with family members who may not be in agreement with the faith and they're offering a criticism of you, the carrier of the faith, steward of mystery, or a person trying to live out their faith in today's secular world, I think it's useful to ask the question, perhaps we say this, I'm wondering why that's important to you. I'm wondering why. And you're using then the science, if you will, of phenomenology. Ask more questions, ask more questions, first of all, then make statements, our Lord does that. But ask a question about the why. Why is that important to you? I wonder why that's bothersome. I wonder, so you're trying to get to the why of something. And Luke does that today in his gospel. As we look quickly to his gospel, he tells us that in his description now, we're in the fifth chapter, and he's, uh, he's being approached by a group of Pharisees who ask him, well, why is it that your followers do this and the followers, as they observed, of John the Baptist did that or the followers of the Pharisees did this? And it had to do with rules around dietary guidance, dietary restrictions, when you eat, when you don't eat, what you eat. In this case, it had to do with fasting. And our Lord responds to them not with, well, here's why it is. He, he asks the question. But he asks the question to guide them to an observation. So the Pharisees are questioning him about practices that his immediate followers have begun to assume. Why do you do this, this rule of not fasting? Because Jesus and his followers did eat on the Sabbath, and that was supposed to be, under the Pharisaical ruling, a day of of fasting. And Jesus responds, can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in those days. He's, he's predicting his death and resurrection. The fact that can you, can you fast when he's here? I'm here now with you. I'm here now with you. Would you fast now? No, you will fast in the days after I rise and depart. And then he tells them a parable. No one takes a piece of cloth from a new cloak to patch an old one. Otherwise, they won't uh, expand together. He uses the same analogy with wineskins. No one takes 
a piece of new leather and patches it onto a wineskin made of old leather because the rate of expansion of the old versus new leather will be different and it will tear, the wine will be spilled. He's metaphorically trying to guide them to the idea that what he brings, this new covenant of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is not merely an adaptation to the old covenant of the Mosaic law. It's a completely new covenant. He is the Messiah that's come. And the law and the prophets are not discarded, but they were pointing us to the arrival of the Messiah. The law and the prophets were necessary. They were the pedagogy, as it's said in Greek, pedagogy, to train us to get us ready for the Messiah. All of the, New Te- all of the Old Testament points to the New Testament, and all of the New Testament explains the Old Testament. The two work symbiotically. That's Dei Verbum, teaching of the church, how to read scripture. The two work symbiotically. The entire Old Testament story points us to Christ. The entire New Testament explains why the Old Testament happened in the sequence of events that it did. It's to get us to the reality of Christ. And what he's trying to tell them today is the law and the prophets are not to be discarded, but they merely point us to the reality of Jesus Christ. And he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And it's his way and his teaching that we should be focused upon. So as we go forward into this beautiful day, perhaps some some lessons of application we can take. Number one, it's probably useful in conversations to ask more questions than it is to make more statements, right? Ask more questions than statements. That tends to help help facilitate conversation among people who may be of opposing views, including family members. Secondly, we enter into a conversation in humility, not arrogance, because it's reasonable when we are offering our opinion on any topic, it's reasonable for someone to ask us in a secular frame of mind, why are you speaking if you don't have any merit in that particular field or discipline? It's, it's reasonable for someone to ask us that. Why are you speaking on this topic? Have you ever done that before? What experience do you have with that other than something you read? What do you know about this? It's reasonable to be questioned in that, so that's why we, as stewards of the mysteries, have a responsibility to know what Scripture teaches, to know the magisterial teaching of the church, to be informed, to be a good steward, we have to know what we're doing, so we should have some depth in that. Ask more questions in humility. Expect that we could be questions if we're opining on something in which we have no depth or merit. And then, stand in the truth of Christ, which is, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God. I have come, I will die, I will rise, I will come back. Stand in that truth and offer generously that truth to the world that as we've studied all week in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the the reasoning of the world may not grab that. The reasoning of the world, in fact, will fight against that. Human free will will fight against that truth because we are born into disobedience. But we humbly come before the Lord knowing that we've received the gospel message through God's grace, not our merit, through God's grace. And our responsibility in having responded to that truth is to carry with compassion that truth out into the world that so desperately needs to hear it and more importantly, see it lived out. Amen.